Lord, and as we're going to see in our text today, that that the fact that you're in our lives and the fact that you're in our souls and the fact that you're supernaturally changing us, Lord, should should make a difference in our life. Lord, we should become more and more like you. Our pedigree should be changing from from the pedigree of this world to the, to the pedigree of of truly being a a child of God. And so, Lord, I ask you to teach us that lesson and and how we can know you're going to show us today how some of the ways that we can know that we're truly children of God. And and so I just ask that by the power of your spirit that you teach us those things today. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of James and we'll be in chapter number one. And if you remember last time we left off with uh, verse number 25, I believe. So we'll be going into 26 today. James chapter one, verse number 26. D.L. Schofield used to tell how in London there were three kinds of dogs, three kinds of dogs. Uh, there was there was the wild dog. And here's the way he described the wild dog, a masterless dog who roams the streets at will, who steals his meals from garbage pails and often comes to an inglorious end at the lethal chamber of the humane society. Then there were the chained dogs in London, those who can't be trusted for more than a few feet. And then there was the unchained dog, and that was the dog who knows and loves his master and responds obediently to his voice. And Schofield said that the first of these dogs, the wild dog, has liberty, but he has no law. The wild dog has liberty, but he has no law. The ch second type of dog that he observed in London was the chain dog, and that dog had law, but no liberty. And then the third type of dog was the dog who enjoyed the perfect law of liberty. Remember James spoke of the perfect law of liberty. If you think about it, we all fall into one of those three categories. I mean, we might, some of us are wild dogs. I don't know about you, but I was a wild dog before Christ got a hold of me. I mean, I, I was living for the world. I was roaming the streets at will, and I was in, facing an inglorious end. Uh, really, you could almost go take it all the way to the end of the chambers of hell is what I was facing. And then others of us are religious, but we're living like chained dogs because we're living under the law. And we're the most miserable and pitiful of people. And then there's others, and that's those of us who are, who are believers, we live under the perfect law of liberty. We know the truth, and the truth has set us free. What is, what is the perfect law of liberty? What is, when James is speaking of the perfect law of liberty, when Schofield spoke of the perfect law of liberty, what was he speaking of? He's speaking of the liberty that we have in Jesus Christ. This, this book, this Bible is the perfect law of liberty. And you know what this Bible tells us? If you want to sum it up, what it tells us, you know what it tells you? It tells you that you have freedom to do anything that you want to do because you've been changed. And what you want to do is to please your master 
Jesus Christ. That's why you live under the perfect law of liberty. And if you live under the perfect law of liberty, then you have the perfect pedigree. You are truly a child of God. So how do I know that I have the perfect pedigree? How do I know that I have, that I'm truly a child of God? Well, James told us last week that we're to look into this mirror, into this word of God. It's like a mirror. This mirror shows us just how spiritually filthy we are and just how wicked we are. But it's also a supernatural mirror. Remember we talked about that last week. This mirror has the power to change us from glory to glory into the image of Jesus Christ. As we gaze on this mirror, we're actually changed and our pedigree is changed. And no longer are we a wild dog or a chain dog, we're a child of God. So what James is going to do in our lesson today, he's going to give us some practical tests uh, to show us whether or not our pedigree is truly the pedigree of God, whether or not we're truly children of God. Now, he's actually already given us some tests. So I want to go back and review a couple of those tests he's given us. And the first test was this. The first test was that if we're truly children of God, if we truly have the pedigree of God, then we endure trials with long suffering and joy. We count it all joy when we fall into various trials. Man, we get excited about trials. I mean, bring them. No, I'm not going to say that. Don't bring them on. We're not going to say that. But we, when we're in a trial, we can, you know why we can count it all joy? Because we've been in trials before. And every trial we've ever been in, God has brought us out of that trial. And every trial we've ever been in, you know what I can do? I can look back on the trials that I've faced in my life, and I can see God working good in me in every one of those trials. And, and the older I get and the more mature I get, and some of you won't agree with that, but the more mature I get in Christianity, the... Jesse, man. Did you get a good laugh out of that, Jesse? The more mature I get in Jesus Christ, the more I can have joy when I have a trial. The more I realize that I can trust him through that trial, that he's working good in my life. And then the second thing that he told us, or the test, the second test that he gave us, was whether or not we seek God for wisdom in all of our decisions in life. That's, that was a, that's a test. You know why that's a test? Because let me tell you something. If you're out living your life without seeking God for direction, if you do what you want to do when you want to do it, you know what I believe? I don't believe you truly believe in God. Or if you do believe in God, you don't believe in the same God I believe in. The God I believe in is omniscient and he is omnipotent. That means he has all knowledge. He has all knowledge of the future. He has all power. So if I'm going to make a decision, I want his wisdom in that decision because he's going to, because then I know that the decision I make is going to be for my good because he wants nothing but good for me. So when I see somebody who runs around and they don't really, they could care less about uh, bringing God in on their life and on their decisions, I wonder if they're really saved. Because you really, not, you really don't understand who God is. You really don't have that relationship with God where you want God to direct your life and plan your life. And that's how we get into so much trouble. Well, the next text he gives us in verse number 26. Look at verse number 26. 
Here's a real good one right here. He says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious, that you have the pedigree of God, and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. This one's religious religion is useless. Man, James, could you come up with a better test than that? I mean, how about, uh, how about testing me on my morality? How about doing that, James? I mean, do you, do you get drunk? No, I don't get drunk. Do you smoke? No, I don't smoke. Do you fool around? No, I don't fool around. My wife would kill me. Or what about those bigger sins? Are you a homosexual? No, I'm not a homosexual. I must be, I mean I'm saved. Do you rob banks? How many of you in here rob banks? Don't raise your hand. You know, you never know. I'm going to tell you what, you never know. Nathan and I were driving up in our neighborhood the other day, and there were like 20 police cars. If you happen to see this on the news, saw this on the news, you saw our house in the background. There were 20 police cars blocking the other end of the street. And they were arresting the guy who owns the, if you've ever been to my house, there's a big home down the street, one of the bigger homes in the neighborhood, about a $350,000 home. And this guy was arrested for robbing a branch of Iberia Bank. My own neighbor. So you never know. Now, he's certainly not going to heaven. Now, maybe he is, but he's going he's gonna to have to straighten up before he does. But we could all answer no to those questions. Most of us aren't drunks. Most of us aren't, we don't fool around. We don't smoke. And if you smoke, you can be a Christian and smoke. I'm not trying to be legalistic here. We don't rob banks. We're not homosexuals. And, and so we could, we could answer yes on all those questions, on all those tests. We, I mean, or no, we don't do those things. But apparently, those things aren't the things that determine whether or not we're truly religious or not. How about, James, I'll give you another test you should have used here. How about church activity? I mean, I mean, how many of you are active? All of you are active in church. You're here today. I mean, I come to church all the time. I'm a member of this church. If, if there's such a thing as membership, I mean, I'm, I guess I would call myself a member. I partake of the Lord's Supper once a month. Uh, I come to church on Wednesday night and Sunday mornings. Now, the reason I do that, I mean, my wife shook me this morning and said, get up, you got to go to church. I said, I don't want to go to church. I want to sleep in. She said, you can't sleep in. You're the pastor. You've got to go. And I have to go. I want to go. I'm just joking. She didn't really do that. But, but uh, I, 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 I'm at church Wednesday and Sundays. A lot of you are. A lot of you are here on Sundays. That's great. Uh, how about my service? I mean, I prepare all week. I, I visit people in the hospital. I, I, you know, try to help the poor. I try to do, you know, good things. I mean, what about, what about my service? What about my service? What about some of you? Some of you teach a Bible class. Some of you work in the nursery. Uh, some of you serve on the worship team. What about our service? I mean, I'd do well if that were the test. Some of you would do well if that were the test. Some of you are serving in places outside the church, and you'd do well if that was the test. I mean, the Jews would have liked it if the test had been their nationality. Because, hey, they were, the, they were the people of God. They were the apple of God's eye. And they really, a lot of them thought it was the test. You know, there are some Americans that believe just because you're an American, you have the pedigree of Christ. You've, you're, 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 a, you're, you're a Christian because you're an American. 
So James doesn't use any of these things to test our religio religiosity. No, he hits us where it hurts. I mean, in test, he tests us in areas that we all struggle with. I don't know about you, but I struggle with my tongue sometimes. I mean, just look at verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious, here's the test, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, he deceives himself, this one's religion is useless. Now, James isn't saying that our morality doesn't matter. He isn't saying that church attendance doesn't matter. Church activity doesn't matter. Church service doesn't matter. He's not saying that at all. But what he's saying is if, if you neglect these weightier issues of the law, if you neglect the things that he's going to give us right here, this little passage, if you neglect those things, then maybe your religion is useless. Maybe you're, you don't have the pedigree of God. And if we don't, then we might very well be deceiving ourselves. You know, at the very least, we should beginning, be beginning to become like Christ, at the very least. And so, it, we, if we might be deceiving ourselves if we call ourselves Christians, and yet we don't control what we say. If we're constantly murmuring and complaining against God, if we're striking a ba back at one another, even when somebody strikes us, what did Jesus do when somebody struck his cheek? What did he tell us to do when we, someone strikes our cheek? We're to turn and give them the other cheek. We're to have control over our tongue. And here's why control of the tongue is, is a good indicator of your pedigree. Because those of us who are truly born again, we have what in us? We have who in us? We have the Spirit of Christ living in us. And let me ask you this. Did Jesus Christ have control over his tongue? Of course he had control over his tongue. In every incident, he had control over his tongue. That's why Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, you don't have to turn there, but listen to what he says. He says, we're to fight the good fight of faith as Jesus witnessed the good confession before Pilate. You catch that? What's the good fight of faith? As Jesus witnessed the good confession before before Pilate. What was the good confession that Jesus made before Pilate? You remember what his confession was? He didn't say anything. I mean, he said a few words, but, but he took it like a man. Pilate was striking out at him, and yet he took it. He was silent like a, like a lamb before his shears. He was silent. And, and, and then take it uh, one step further and follow Jesus to the cross. And, 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 and he didn't strike it out at those people who were condemning him, those Jews who were condemning him, those soldiers who were nailing his hands and feet to a cross. Did he strike at him? Do you hear him say anything in the Gospels? If he had said something, he would have been there. He didn't say anything. He didn't strike out at those people at the foot of the cross who were look, looking up at him and mocking him. He didn't strike back at him. You know what he said? The only words he said to them was this. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. You know, the, centur the centurion that day who came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ didn't come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ because of what Jesus Christ said. 
He came into a saving faith of Jesus Christ because of what Jesus Christ did not say. The fact that he didn't strike back. He had, he had seen a lot of executions that he had never seen a man in those kind of circumstances who was swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And that was the case with Jesus Christ. And so he said, you remember what he said? Surely, surely this must be the Son of God. No man could do this. And none of you can do that without the Spirit of God. But if you have the pedigree of God, you have the Spirit of God in you. And that should mean that at least at the, at the very least, you're beginning to learn to control your tongue. Or you're beginning to have the power to control your tongue. And if we have no control over our tongues, and we don't think about what we say, and we just spit out venom all over the place, it's a good sign that we very well might not be saved. Man, if you talk to your wife like a dog, you might not be saved. Women, if you talk to your husband like a dog, you might not be saved either. I mean, if, 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 if you have no control over your tongue, then, then you very well might not be saved. And a lot of you, you know what? You have control over your tongue. You just don't exercise it. By the Spirit, you don't put to death the deeds of the flesh. I'm not recommending Joyce Meyer, but I love the story she tells. She tells about how uh, one day she was, all her family had left, gone to school, her husband had gone to work, and they had left the house in a mess. And she just lost it. And she was screaming, and she was cursing, and she was throwing things, and screaming some more. And if they had been there, she would have been screaming at them, and then that finally the doorbell rang and she opened it up and there was the pastor. And she said, and she said all of a sudden? And, and, well, before that, let me take it back a step. She prayed, oh Lord, please help me control my tongue. I can't control my tongue. And, and the Lord said, oh yes, you can. She said, no, I can't, no, I can't. And the doorbell rang and there was the pastor. And she did control her tongue then. Isn't it amazing how we can control our tongues when the doorbell rings? Or, or the phone rings and we're, we're, we're talking bad to our wives. Our wives are talking bad to us. I mean, isn't it amazing how we can all shut up when, when those things happen? Well, if we can do it then, then we can do it anytime. It's a choice we make. So we're to control our tongues. And if we don't control our tongues, then, then, then maybe we don't have the pedigree of God. Let me tell you what's the most important thing about this. Jesus had a witness because he controlled his tongue. We lose our witness when we don't control our tongues. If we just... If you're at work and you, you rant on your boss, you've lost your witness. If he sees you ranting on an employee, you've lost your witness. So we need to control our tongues. It's something we can do. We have the power to do that in Jesus Christ. Now look at the next test. Verse number 27, he says, Pure and undefiled religion before the Father is this. Well, here it is. I'll give it to you. You memorize 50 verses in the New Testament. That's pure and undefiled religion. You become a great theologian. I mean, you can you you study uh, Augustine and and Calvin and and uh, uh, Chuck Smith or whoever, and you become a great theologian. Is that pure religion, undefiled religion? Or you learn to read Greek and Hebrew? You can read you can read the entire uh, New Testament in Greek. You can read the entire Old Testament in Hebrew. Is that the test? No, look at what he says. Pure and undefiled religion before God is this, that you visit orphans and widows in their time of trouble. 
and, and, and not just throw money at them through some organization. It goes past that, that you visit widows and orphans in their time of distress. Wow, James, I mean, come on, you're making this tough. I mean, the application there is obvious. I mean, think about it. Read the Old Testament. Over and over again, God the Father says, I have a heart for widows and orphans. Now, if we have the pedigree of the Lord and we have the Lord living in us, then we're going to have a heart for widows and orphans. We're going to be just like him. And if we can see somebody in distress, especially a widow and orphan, and we can see them in distress and we really don't care, there's something wrong with our pedigree. And you can apply this to a lot of things. I mean, anyone who's been forsaken by others falls into the category of a widow and orphan. I mean, you remember how Je what Jesus said, you want, you want a good way to know whether or not you have pure religion, pure and undefiled religion. Remember what he did? He told a parable. He told a parable about the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan saw this man who had been beaten and robbed and everybody else had forsaken him and passed him by, passed him by and the Good Samaritan took him in and, and, and clothed him and fed him and, and left money with him and, and told the guy if there's anything else he needed to give it to him because that man had a heart. That man had God's heart. I mean, think about Jesus. He sought out the outcast. He sought out the forsaken. I mean, he goes out of his way to find the woman at the Samaritan woman at the well. She was an outcast. She was forsaken by men. And yet he chased her down. So he not for any other reasons, but to save her. And look at the people he called. I mean, he called outcast. He loved outcast. He loved people who were forsaken by men. Guys like Matthew, the tax collector. Zacchaeus come down from that tree, another tax collector. He reached out to people who were forsaken. Now, if we don't care about those who are hurting, then there's something wrong with our pedigree. Now, let me reverse this for a minute. I'm not preaching the social gospel here. There's a gospel out there that says that, that by feeding the poor, by helping the helpless, that somehow you get saved. You don't get saved by doing those things. You do those things because you are saved, because you have the heart of God. I mean, I, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that are helping the poor that are doing it for ulterior motives, and a lot of them are self-centered motives. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and have not love, it profits me nothing. If you're, if you're helping people because you think somehow that gets you brownie points with God because somehow that will save you and get you into the kingdom of God, hey, that's going to profit you nothing. Because if you have not love, it profits you nothing. Now, when he spoke of love, when Paul was speaking of love, what kind of love was he speaking of? He was speaking of agape love. That's divine love. God is love. And so if you have agape love, you have the Spirit of God in you. You can only have divine love if God dwells in you. That's the only way you could truly help the poor. And so uh, if, you have, if you have the Lord living in you, then you have love living in you. And you're going to have a desire to help other people. Uh, if you don't, then maybe your religion is not true and 
pure. Look at the second part of this. Look at the next part. He gives the second test. He gives two tests in, in verse number 27. He says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. Oh, man. Why does he say this? Why not, if you, if you have a Christian bumper sticker, that's the test. Or you listen to Christian music. Or you go on a mission trip once a year. Come on, James. Why do you got to step on toes? It's Thanksgiving. And by the way, he's going to step on our toes. And to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Whoa, that's a tall order. That is pure and undefiled religion that you keep yourself unspotted from the world. Man. But you know what? The Bible is full of admonitions like that. You go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. You don't have to turn there, but listen to what Paul says. He says, therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Come out from among them, from among the wild dogs. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. Now, how do we touch what is unclean? He's not talking about dirt there. What is he talking about? He's not talking about anything that is anti-Christ. Don't touch it. And you know what? We're immersed in it in our society. We're immersed in it. The only way you can fulfill this, I got to tell you, and I'm not telling you to do it, but to take the television and throw it outside because it is full of dirt. It is full of things that will make you spotted. Go, go see a movie. You know, because they, they're going to they're gonna stain you. Now, I'm going to probably go see a movie, and I'm probably not going to throw my television outside. But you know what? Man, the more and more this world becomes polluted and evil and wicked, overflowing with wickedness, the harder and harder it is to watch a movie. The harder and harder it is to watch TV. I mean, you can't watch a football game without them throwing some kind of evil uh, precept at you. Some type of evil commercial. You can't, you know, you can't go to a movie that they don't curse the name of Jesus Christ and curse the Lord. And we're, we don't come out of that pure and clean. We come out of that spotted. And pure religion is this, to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Man, that's a tough one right there. I mean, I, I like movies. I, I wish every movie was like War Room or, or uh, Woodlawn. I mean, even, uh, even The Hunger Games. <laughs> I'm not recommending that, but they didn't curse in that. They didn't curse God in that. I, I, they're, you know... I don't, this is a tough one. I mean, I, I'm not here trying to be a legalist, and I'm not here trying to tell you. I mean, you know. You know what is bad and what is evil. Man, I remember when I first got saved, the first movie I went to watch, I walked into that movie. It was a PG movie, a PG-13 movie. And I walked into that movie, and they started saying things and doing things, and, man, I walked out. I had never walked out of a movie in my life, and I walked out of that movie. 
Then I went to another one. I heard it and I said, well, I just listened for a little bit. And you kind of get you kind of get used to those things. That's bad when we start getting used to those things. We should take a stand on what we, we watch in our homes and what we watch in movies. We should take a stand. We shouldn't be unspotted by the world or spotted by the world. He says, come out from her among her and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. And if you do that, if you do that, you're going to experience my blessings in a marvelous, fast, uh, amazing way. Verse 18, I, I will be your father to you. Now, now, if you're a born again believer, God's your father. But, you know, a lot of us don't even realize he's our father. We're so stained by the world. You'll know that I'm your father and you'll know that you're my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. You'll know your pedigree is the right pedigree. You know, listen to what John says. You want to hear a scary verse? A really scary verse? It should scare us all. Verse John 2, 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, you can play all sorts of games with that in the Greek, but... It, it says what it says. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, you have the wrong pedigree. You're kidding yourself. You're not, if you love this world, you're not truly born again. And really, I think more than anything else here, he's talking about the world system. If you love what's going on in this world, if you love the things that are, that are, that are I mean, in today's world, it's, Everywhere, we, things that are evil are called good, and things that are good are called evil. And so it, it, it's real easy. It's, it's become black and white. And if you love those things that are black, then the love of the Father's not in you. If you participate in those things that are black, the love of the Father's not in you. Don't kid yourself. Now, you might fall into some of those things. But if you love those things, the love of the Father's not in you. And you know what? As I said earlier, way too many of us that have the pedigree of Jesus Christ spoil our pedigree by riding the fence. And, all, and we're touching unclean things. And, 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 you know, sometimes we look like wild dogs. And that makes our religion useless. It makes our witness useless. Suppose you were about to go into surgery. And the surgeon came out like they usually do to talk to you and tell you about the surgery and what was going to take place. And you looked up at that surgeon and his jacket was stained with wine. He was smoking a cigarette. His hands were trembling because he had been out all night. And he cursed like a sailor. You know what I would do? I would jump up out of that bed and get out of there as fast as I could. I wouldn't want that guy operating on me. As Christians, sometimes we look as foolish as that surgeon. We tell people, hey, I can fix what ails you. Listen to me. Listen to me. I can tell you about Jesus Christ. And, and they look at us and we're so stained by the world. We're so hung over by the world that they say, man, I don't want that. What good would that be? Then he gives us another test. The last test we'll look at today about our pedigree. Look at, look at chapter 2. Beginning in verse number one, he says, my brethren. Now, if he says my brethren, who is he talking to? He's talking to us. He's talking to the church. Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. 
with partiality. I think maybe this is the most important test. Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. But what's the test? What's the test? The test is, do you treat everybody the same? Do you treat every believer the same really is the test. You're not to hold your faith with partiality. For if there comes in into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, show him the offering box. No. And there should come also among you a poor man with filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality through your own, through yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You know, evil judges are people who, who, do show partiality. I mean, they do show favoritism to the rich and to the important people. They, they, an evil judge will do that. And the sad thing is that the history of the church is replete with churches and church activities and things that we do that show partiality to certain people. To special people. I mean, give you some examples. You go into some of the older churches in America and you'll notice the names on the pews. And that pew was pretty much bought by a person. The person who had a lot of money got the front row pew. If you didn't have much money. That's why most of y'all are used to sitting in the back. You, you don't have much money. You, you, you know, you, 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 had, you just took what was available and you sat in the back. But if you wanted a good seat, you paid for it. Man, with guys like Spurgeon, those kind of people were preaching, and you want to get close? Man, you, I'm not, I don't know that Spurgeon did that, but some people did do that. You paid for that pew up front. You paid a price for it. Uh, you go to some churches, there's special parking places. Special parking places for, for, for people who've donated a certain amount of money, or for the pastor, or for the worship leader. You'll be seeing those out there pretty soon. We're, we haven't planted the sign yet. It's kind of like when I told all of y'all to park over here. <laughs> I parked over there. <laughs> I told y'all to park over there and I parked over here. You know, it, there's, there's this thing that we do in churches where there's somehow we lift up the clergy above the laity. I mean, I've, I've gone to certain conferences and boy, by the time they've done the introduction, you think that that preacher's more important than Jesus Christ. Certainly more important than anybody else in the audience. You know, that's sad when we do that. Jesus said, I hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. You look at that Greek word, Nike. We get that, that, that sports company, Nike, means power over, victory over. Laetians is laity power over the laity. Jesus says, I hate that doctrine where you distinguish between the clergy and the lady, laity. I hate that. I hate that. And so we shouldn't show partiality. 
He goes on and says, he says, listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? How do you get into the kingdom? You love him. And whether you're rich or poor, you're, you, you're the same in Jesus Christ. You, you get into the kingdom the same way. In Christ, listen to me very carefully. You are all rich beyond your wildest imagination in Jesus Christ. You know what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1? That Jesus Christ has, that has blessed each and every one of his children with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. You have it right now if you'll go find it. If you go seek it like treasure, you have it right now. And one day, you're going to be joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And you're going to, Jesus Christ, I, I, I got to tell you, he owns everything. And you're going to be joint heirs with him. And so you're going to be joint owner in everything. You can't get any richer than that. You know, Donald Trump likes to run around saying, I'm filthy rich. Well, you can say the same thing to your friends. I'm filthy rich. I'm filthy rich. Man, the bank account of blessings that you have in heaven is, is greater than anything Donald Trump could possibly imagine. Then he says in verses 6 and 7, and we'll finish here, he says, but you have dishonored the poor man. I mean, isn't, the, isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into courts? Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? I mean, what's he saying here? He said, he's saying that the rich of this world shouldn't impress us. They shouldn't impress us at all. In fact, in most cases, they're the ones who's causing us all the grief. Now, in most cases, you can be rich and be saved. That's unusual. It's hard to be rich and be saved, Jesus said. It's hard for anybody to be saved. But it's hard for rich people to get saved. But they're the very ones who causes most of our trouble. And they're the ones who blaspheme Jesus Christ. I think Ted Turner was speaking for a lot of rich people when he said that Christianity is a joke. It's for wimps and sissies. He ain't been a Christian, I can tell him that right there. I can tell that from that right there. He know it's not for sissies. It's not for wimps. Christianity is tough. Because of people like him. I mean, I, I, and, and did he, he and, and to blaspheme Christ? You know, what, what he's saying is that, 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 hey, man, you're serving some dead carpenter on a cross. And he blasphemes the king of glory. We don't want to be hanging out with people that and sh like that and showing them partiality. Not at all. And you can apply this test to any area which we might show partiality. I mean, uh, not only wealth, to race. Anybody that shows partiality to race, you better question your pedigree. John says, if you, if you can't love your brother whom you've seen, how can you love God whom you haven't seen? You're a liar. These people who say they can, they, that, that, Black people who say they can't love white people and white people who say they can't love black people, they're not saved. Because there's no way they can have the love of God in them. I mean, partiality because of profession, whether a person's a doctor or whether he's a garbage collector, he's the same in Jesus Christ. Political party, whether, well, I don't want to go that far. 
Seriously, if you're a Republican or a Democrat, if you're a Democrat, I'm going to pray for you. I'm not either. I'm an independent. But whether you're a Republican, whatever party, political party, we shouldn't show partiality to people. I was joking. We shouldn't show partiality if they're truly born again believers. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say what I was going to say. <laughs> My son's looking at me right now. I, I could tell y'all something really funny, but I don't <laughs> Look, is it our worldly goods or our position or who we vote for for governor <laughs> that determines our pedigree no what determines our pedigree the cross what on, on that cross determines our pedigree the blood of Jesus Christ if you've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ you realize that you're as great as Billy Graham you're as loved by God as much as Billy Graham you have the potential of Billy Graham if you've been washed in the blood you're not poor you're rich I mean, look around this room. I mean, look around at the fellow believers next to you. You're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you. But they're all perfect in Jesus Christ. Look around. I, I, know, it's, I know it's tough to look at some of these people and come up with that. But they're perfect in Jesus Christ. The perfect person sitting next to you is not any better than you. And the person you're sitting next to, you're not any better than them. We're all perfect in Jesus Christ. Now, now, some of us are at different stages in this process, but we've all been perfected by Jesus Christ by one offering, that, that sacrifice on the cross. That's why Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I will look at no man in the flesh. What does he mean by that? I don't look at, I shouldn't look at any of you based upon what I see outside right now, based upon your life right now. I shouldn't look at you based upon that because one day you're going to be glorified and you're going to be every bit as much glorified as I am. One day you're going to be absolutely perfect. One day you're going to be rich beyond your wildest imagination. One day you're going to be joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And so I don't look at you as to where you're at now. I look at the potential that you have in Jesus Christ. And we all have that same potential. And if you don't understand that, that we all have the same pedigree, then maybe you don't have that pedigree. If you somehow think your pedigree is better than somebody else's in here, then maybe you don't have that pedigree. W.A. Criswell tells a story about a black friend of his. He's an old elderly black guy. And he went to the sheriff's office to talk to the sheriff and he got there about 8 o'clock in the morning. He had a problem in his neighborhood, and he wanted to talk to the sheriff about it. And he got there about 8 o'clock in the morning, and late that afternoon, the sheriff had still not seen him. And he told Chriswell, he says, I'm quoting here, he says, I sit there, I sit there, I sit there. And I watched as one important person after the other walk right past the receptionist and into the sheriff's office. But I never got in. I never got in. You know, Pastor Criswell, I thank God that the kingdom of heaven is not like that. Because the receptionist 
at God's office is Jesus Christ. And he is savior and friend to all his children. And all his children can come into the presence of God. You understand what that black man was telling the great W.A. Criswell? He was telling him that, he was saying this, my pedigree is the same as yours. And my pedigree is the same as every other child of God. See, our pedigree isn't something we earn. Our pedigree was bought with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ. And every single one of us are perfected forever in him. We're all rich in him. We all have eternal access to God in him. You think you got some things to be thankful for this Thanksgiving? You better believe you do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you. Lord, that the ultimate test of our salvation is not our works. Although faith does produce good works, just as you're teaching us here. But the ultimate test of our salvation is are we truly in Jesus Christ? Have we been perfected forever by his blood? Lord, what a blessing that is. We have so much to be grateful for. We thank you for the cross, Lord. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that, that we're all equal in him. Lord, thank you for your blessings and thank you for your goodness. In Christ's name I pray, amen.